Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, believer, walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Finneran's Wake. I am with unwavering commitment to the cause of great conversation, your friend and host, Daniel Finneran. Thank you so very much for joining me today. If, dear friend and listener, you find the conversations on this humble little platform of mine enlightening, entertaining, soothing to the ear, or nourishing to the soul, please do consider subscribing to this channel. There's nothing transactional, certainly nothing personally profitable for your doing so. Uh, what we're trying to do here on Finneran's Wake is build a community of curious thinkers and eloquent speakers, among whom, rest assured, you're most certainly belonging. For content specific to wellness, philosophy, meditation, and sleep, you can, of course, visit my sister project, Numa by Daniel Finneran, to which I'll include a link in the show notes below. My guest today, with whom I'm absolutely honored and delighted to have the opportunity to chat, is someone who defies all categorization. Indeed, there is no single box into which he can be placed. He's simply too large a character. Dr. Kiltz, a reproductive endocrinologist by training, is a man of diverse talents, capacious intellect, and uncommon courage. A product of USC and UC Davis, from which he took his medical degree, Dr. Kiltz has practiced as a fertility physician for the past three decades. Combining his entrepreneurial spirit with his medical acumen, Dr. Kiltz founded CNY Fertility, of which there are now eight locations nationwide, to which thousands of people from all across the world eagerly travel in hopes of increasing their chances of starting or growing their families. To those of us who frequent social media, Dr. Kiltz is quickly to be recognized as the vigorous, passionate, virile, bespectacled man promoting the carnivore diet and many other things of which he's been both an adherent and an advocate for the past decade. Aside from being a physician and businessman, Dr. Kiltz is also a painter, a potter, a poet, a pilot, a collection of hobbies noteworthy not only for their demands on the creative mind, but for their alliteration. Dr. Kiltz, thank you so very much for joining me today. Daniel, it's really a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so excited to be here and share your ideas and, and, and everyone's ideas out there, which are so important to talk about. And I can't wait to do so. In my introduction, I mentioned the uncommonness of your courage. And I should say, I did so not merely as an attempt at flattery. Your courage, I think, is amply displayed by the fearlessness with which you promote the carnivore diet, for instance, an approach to eating to which our medical establishment, our federal government, our corporate media, and our world elites are not only vocally opposed, but fiercely hostile. So my question to you, do you consider it an act of bravery to fall out of line with these very powerful institutions and against their 
best wishes, <laughs> speak the truth as you understand it? Well, that's a very good question. Maybe it's a little uh, bit of a, of, uh, I feel like an idiot sometimes in this process. Like, uh, what am I doing sharing something that is so opposite and seems so wrong? But I, I came to become a doctor because I wanted to help people. And when I realized once that many of the things that I was helping them with was hurting them. And I experienced it personally, physically, in my family and friends who suffered and got cancer or diabetes or died younger than expected or had many other health conditions that in medicine, we're not taught why we're sick. We're just, here's the pill, the shot, the surgery. And I actually fell upon this quite accidentally. Uh, many of my, my patients, I was teaching meditation and prayer and yoga and mindfulness to help them become pregnant, realizing and recognizing that stress and struggles was so uh, uh, prevalent in, in the process. And some of them were suddenly getting pregnant on this thing called the paleo diet. And I'm like, well, what is this? And that's when I began to dig deep into understanding nutrition and realizing that my healthy Mediterranean diet was hurting me and hurting them. But as I learned more about paleo diet and then keto diet and I tripped over carnivore, I realized that I've hit something that works because it worked on me and I've seen so many of my patients work. I like, well, how can I become, be quiet on these things? Again, many people have babies on all sorts of diets that use drugs and alcohol and seem unhealthy and have babies. But what if there was really something completely radical? And, and so I'm here to share it. And is it brave or am I a little bit of a naive and not so smart to do this? But as a physician, I went into medicine to help people. And that's why I share this every single day. Now, do you think it was incumbent on you to ensure that it was uh, efficacious, it was effective for you personally before you began to advise it to others? Well, paleo diet is like the Mediterranean diet. Essentially, that felt right. And learning more about, well, why do we pick these diets? Well, paleo is high fat, high animal fat, technically. And, you know, you throw in some vegetables and a little berries and, and some meat in there. But, but ultimately, as I began to read and read and read, it was like, well, um, you know, what's healthy and what's unhealthy? Uh, you know, again, why are some people sick and some people not? Some people get struck by lightning and some people not. I didn't, I can't answer that question. But what I've learned in the process is the why we get sick when you're sick and what are the things that can help. Plenty of vegans get healthy and they feel great, but, but. What I've learned is that our bodies require certain things and not other things. And I'm not sure I'm answering the question sort of indirectly, but more indirectly, but I, I like when things were, people were getting success and then I personally did it. So maybe that's the real answer here is that I used to have arthritis, psoriasis, bowel bleeding, uh, anxiety, depression, ADHD, uh, migraines from a child childhood. But when I did this paleo, I got better. And then keto, I got better. But it was carnivore, like it all went away. And I'm like, okay, no, wait a minute. 
Why do the things that my doctors would never say, well, your migraines caused by this or your hemorrhoids and bowel bleeding and, or your kidney stones, they had no clue. And again, we, everyone says, well, doctors don't know nutrition. Well, in actuality, nutritionists don't know nutrition. It's propaganda. They've been taught a belief system. In medicine, I was taught a belief system. And as I worked more into the holistic approach, mindful approach, I, I worked more on natural things as much as anything. But then I was like, well, carnivore is like fatty meat. I eat the same steak pretty much every day with butter and the fat all over it. And I've never felt better. And, and so like my job in life is to share something that is like radical. We deserve radical right now. And, and that's really it. But I, I practiced it myself, personally did it. And I've seen so many successes. And now in the keto carnivore world, with all the blogging going on over the last three to three years plus, it, it, we're just seeing more and more and more people open up to these crazy ideas because we're tired of standard medicine and standard doctors, which simply give us another standard drug or standard dissection or, or, or pill or shot, whatever it is. And, or, gee, you're just going to live like this for life. It's too bad. It's, you're unlucky. Uh, well, we got to change it up. If we want to help the world heal, and the problem is modern medicine and, in general, the marketing masters of the world will tell you that meat is bad and eating grass and grains is good. Well, heroin, cocaine, marijuana, nicotine, caffeine, and even alcohol come from plants. There's nothing that comes from a ribeye steak that's other than good for you. Right. That's what I learned. Yeah, I, think, like, I think people often overlook the fact that these are all highly evolved defensive mechanisms that these plants employ to prevent their consumption, <laughs> nicotine included, caffeine especially. And, and we in the government, government and even doctors used to promote cigarettes and, and they promote red wine. And, and, and I, I became highly offended by uh, what we're doing in medicine. My good friend Dave Kilmer died about 15 years ago from lymphoma, uh, maybe a little longer than that. He was 52 when he died. He was healthy, built, strong, just really an amazing guy. And I'm like, wow, he, he was healthy. Well, then maybe the word healthy doesn't even belong in our vocabulary, actually. We should just kick it out. You know, we use the word healthy on foods, which is simply a label that says, Hey, I'm good for you, but but in fact, that's a ploy to sell you things you don't need. Unfortunately, we're highly manipulated by the marketplace that wants to make a lot of money on us. And it's it's really sad to me. And so I don't fight against anyone's ideas. My job in life is to put out my beliefs of what I think is really good and positive and healthy for you. So if you want to be one way or argue the other way, I'm not here to argue. I'm just here to say, hey, listen, I know what you think. I, I talked to a 42-year young doctor today. And, and when I said, eat fatty meat, eliminate plants, her first thing was to do was laugh at me. Okay? And, and, but we got talking and I said, well, listen, you're 42 and not having a baby and you want to have a baby and you could barely make any eggs anyway. What do you have to lose? You, do you think women, especially in, in that position, are more receptive to that? Well, I think if you've got a problem and you want to solve it, 
we may be more open to something we don't believe in. And that's really the whole, life is learning new ideas. And when they're opposite, I think that's the best place to go to listen and learn. Don't automatically take it on. And I'm not, when I share carnivore, listen, why don't you give it a week or two and see how you feel? But I think it takes a month or two, but I see so many people that do carnivore in like two weeks, they're like, whoa, like my belly gas is gone. My, 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 my foggy brain is gone. I feel better. My energy is amazing. I mean, I'm 67. My energy is like ridiculously amazing. I mean, I'm not a power lifter or a marathon runner. I live life pretty light and easy. I ride bikes and I, I go for a little walks, nothing big. I love to engage with people. I love to go to work more than anything. Uh, I love helping people make babies when they're having challenges. Uh, and I love building a business. Uh, but I also love sharing ideas of mindfulness and faith and kindness and generosity. And um, whether you're a vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, or carnivore, it doesn't matter. You want to you wanna really kind of come up to a new level. And sharing stories with people is something we need to do more and more. That's why I love what you're doing in sharing uh really common stories from common people, which really were all the same. Doesn't matter. I beg to differ. I think you're quite uncommon in the best way. I mean that as a, as a, a total compliment Re regarding that. Let me ask you, do you think it's, do you think it's your openness? One of the fundamental features, the psychological features um, that have been named that has led you to the exploration of so many different things, because earlier on you noted, uh, Earlier in your career, you were recommending, like you said, mindfulness and yoga to women especially, but to families who are trying to, to conceive, to have children. And I imagine even probably at that stage of your career, other physicians in the space of fertility probably looked at you a little askance and thought, well, all this sort of Eastern Orientalist, you know, mumbo jumbo, what room what place does that have but obviously you were receptive to it you were open to it you absorbed it and have had remarkable results because of it the same thing i think in some ways is applicable to the carnivore diet of course you came to that um because of some afflictions as you noted the psoriasis the arthritis and the bowel issues but still it takes a very open person to uh, to abandon uh, a style of eating in, with which he's grown up for decades and to adopt something, like you said, radically new. So do you think that's just a fundamental personality trait, your openness, or do you think that others can be maybe brought into that more receptive attitude toward diet, toward health, and toward life more generally? Well, I always uh, you know, say, to, like, take your pulse, You've got one <laughs> and you might want to blow it, you know, on a mirror or, or a phone and it fogs up. That means you're a live human being and our DNA allows us to be and do anything that the universe can do. And so um, I've been through hardships and challenges. I grew up in LA, kicked out of school in a gang, a real gang. Uh, my father was in jail. I couldn't read. Um, I had ADHD and OCD and all sorts of other issues and problems. Uh, thankfully, the Los Angeles Police Department, one day I was picked up and he said, you have two places to go. Go back and clean up the mess you made. We were doing graffiti in Los Angeles back in the 
early seventies. Yeah, maybe like I was little. I was my my parents were not like keeping my brother and I corralled as we should have. Or he said you go to jail, and that was the last time I you know it's like I said okay, and uh, it was interesting because I went back to clean up the mess, and the man there that owned the property said, "Thank you for coming back and doing this. I appreciate you." And uh, I was always a hard worker. And, you know, there was a short amount of time, but everything happens for a reason. There's nothing bad happens in your life. It's all the gifts of the journey. So, I mean, I was not top in the school. I couldn't read very well. I didn't participate well, but I was happened to be good at math. And, and, and so uh, I realized that I wanted to do something more and through working and putting my mind to it, but I was in ceramics. So as I'm a potter, I do pottery. And uh, thankfully, I got into Mrs. Wong's pottery class at age 16. And Mrs. Wong taught me how to center clay on a wheel. And ultimately, I became really good at it. I was doing art shows at the time in, in high school. And I learned jewelry. But she, I found something through her encouragement that I was good at. And that helped me sort of feel good and better about myself and other things. I happened to go to work. I was always a worker at Dodger Stadium, at department stores and on boat launching ramps, even before I was allowed to. Uh, I did it. And, and I, and I, what I, but I, through the years, I, I kind of felt what I couldn't do. And I broke a leg when I was 19. I was inspired by the doctor who was taking care of me. But I thought, you know, maybe I want to be a doctor. But I was like, I, I couldn't read very well. I wasn't really academically inclined. But and then I went to the 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 uh, counselors and looked at what it took. And I'm like, this might not be, not going to happen. But I, I'm one of sort of persistence. And when I put my mind to something, I'm going to go go forward with it. It took me a couple of extra years to go through undergrad because of that. I initially didn't get into medical school, but um, I had plenty of interviews and I was on the wait list. And then the next year I got into two medical schools and I was happy to go and I went to UC Davis. And 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 through the years, it might have taken me a little longer to get to the place that others might get to right away because maybe, maybe they had more early training. Or I believe I was damaged by the foods I was eating as a child, but no one knew that. I have certainly lots of cereals and bread and pasta. I'm Italian, my, my upbringing, my parents, my grandparents. And I, I love to cook. My father loved to cook, shared cooking. We had all these meals. And But did I ever equate my food to the fact that I couldn't read very well or had ADHD or OCD, all sorts of things? No one did at the time. And no one ever told me that, well, maybe this is causing this. But through life's experiences, I personally believe everyone and anyone could do anything if they put their heart, soul, and mind to it, but are thinking, and this is where 20 years ago plus, I went through a divorce. I went through some sadness and depression, and my sister died. My other friend died, and just lots of challenges, even in business. I wasn't making it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I got fired in my job before I started to see my fertility. And that's when my good friend, Craig Humphrey, began to teach me about meditation and Buddhism and yoga and another other friends. And, and I started going to seminars and retreats on all of this.
And, and so I, I've come to believe that which we believe comes true. I'm not very smart. I can't read. I can't do this. Um, I'm incapable. I'm not so smart. And believe me, some of these things come to our play even today. There are times where my my old thinking would be like, oh, you can't do that. And, and, and again, I'm like, well, where did that all come from? It came from my environment where I, how I was raised and maybe because I was in a, a remedial reading and I didn't so do so good because I, I, I couldn't, you know, the words would move all around. And so, you know, if you gave me one plus one is two, if you gave me a math question, straight math, without the, uh, a word problem with math, I could solve it all. And that was, I, I was good at. But if you give me a word math problem, I had difficulty with it. Now, why? I don't know. But in some way, all those things were good for me. I call it the training ground of troubles, which build your strength in life. Back, back then when you had difficulties with literacy, let's say, were you as capable as you are now at expressing yourself verbally? Was there some sort of a disconnection between your, your verbal articulation and your written word? Because you have an extraordinary uh, way of speaking now. And of course that comes with the accumulation of years and experiences. Um, but I'm wondering when you were struggling with these things at a very young age or in your teenage years, were you able to articulate them or did you simply feel them and have that irritation and frustration build up inside you? Well, well, I never, I never like, oh, I can't read and I'm not so smart or I can't. I mean, those were not, I was a outgoing, gregarious. I loved people. I loved kind of being a little bit of the, the clown of the class. I mean, not, I didn't, I wasn't too crazy, but I, I loved the, I love to engage with people and I had a lot of fun and I enjoyed life. I, I didn't, I didn't grow up thinking at any negativity, even when I had my troubles, I, I, I wasn't, it was like, I always wanted to see, okay, I can go do there. I can go there. I wanted to get engaged with people. I just didn't have the same engagement on the, uh, on the intellectual side. I think that's the part that I, I, I wasn't there, but, I didn't necessarily miss it because I didn't know it. And now I know it more, but there's also a side of me that is, is everyone and anyone can do it, but they now just need to be more patient and find other ways to get there. Like I learned audible books about 25 years ago. And like, I listened to books and I was like, wow. So that was a game changer. I'm visual aud auditory more than anything. And, 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 and I say visual in our environment, but when it comes, see, I don't think reading words is natural to the human body. It's completely unnatural, right? I'm the doer. I'm the one that needs to do it to learn it. And when I began to do it more, like medicine is a doing experience when you're taking care of human beings. And plus I'm a surgeon you know, again, I used to build furniture and do uh, do jewelry. So I like the molding and the moving. The doing, I think, is the most powerful thing. We need to have more apprenticeships that people could do 
and get the experience of things, even though they don't know it very well. And that's some way how I learned to fly airplanes. I used to sit in the back of an airplane and I bought into a partnership with an airplane. It wasn't, it was a smaller, older plane. And it's like, well, I can't sit back here. I'm going to get in the front. And then they started, you know, slowly teaching me. It took me two years to get my pilot's license, two more years to get my instrument rating. Uh, and, and I've been flying now for about, what is it, about 10 years. I, I'm on my third airplane. Uh, I fly a jet now. And, and it was never something I thought, oh, one, I'm going to fly a jet one day. I just kind of like fell into it, much like many things in my life, like medicine uh, and, and uh, being a, 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 a fertility specialist or starting my own business. Quite often, I'll take a loss and learn to lead it into something successful. Because even though I fail at things, it's because we're, we're meant to fail in order to recognize that you just have to keep moving forward and keep learning and don't give up. I have to ask, do you treat your passengers to audiobooks over the loudspeakers on your jet planes? Oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 you can't do that very easily. Uh, but, but I encourage people to bring their devices and their headphones and listen to a great, a great book. And there is the Bluetooth on the headphones, and I sometimes will listen to a book or music or something. But I uh -huh. actually love to listen to books more than music. Yeah, you should give Kiltz's list on the exterior of the plane uh, some suggestions that people can tune into. Well, we I should probably have the device. That would be the best thing. That would be, yeah, that would be Here's, fun. You, know, you guys enjoy it, yeah. I want to revisit one thing that you said that I think was profoundly um, insightful, and, and it was about the fact that by nature, we're less inclined to absorb the written word as opposed to the oral word. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that. Think back to the great wisdom traditions of the past, uh, be it the Greek or the Judeo-Christian or any of the Eastern, from Hinduism to Buddhism, most of these traditions were transferred from one generation to the next orally. These were or purely oral traditions. Think of Homer was you know, considered, or if he's one individual person, or perhaps a collection of, of poets, but you know, he's thought to be the first to formally write down the, the stories that long predated him, the Odyssey and the, and the Iliad. But these were known orally for many, many centuries, if not millennia prior to his arrival on the scene. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's something very, very meaningful in what you say. And I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more because I, I do think you're absolutely right. Um, we are a narrative seeking species. I talk about this often. We need stories. And, and that instinct of ours can be used in malign ways <laughs> and we mentioned earlier about propaganda now we we said that in reference to nutrition but of course propaganda is in politics it's in ideologies philosophies everything and what is propaganda you're propagandizing you're, you're propagating a story and like i said innately we sink our teeth into those stories so I'm just drawing a little bit of a connection between a few different points that we made, and I think they are worth uh, iterating. Do you have any comments on that? Well, 
we often listen, I love music. We spend a lot of time listening to music that just keeps us appeased and not learning. You can spend a lot of time reading, but remember the libraries were off limits to most humanity. The Bibles, can the, the written word was off limits. Even for myself, you had to go to the library. Um, you had to get accepted to a university to get the, the literature in order to really read and learn. So the masses did not have access to these words. And if you go back to our ancient, ancient ancestors who shared the oral traditions and passed them along, that's our true nature. And one thing I love to do is I love to be in the pottery studio and listening to a book or listening to something or going on a bike ride. I would go on three-hour bike rides and I'd listen to a book. And I was enthralled by the stories. Or I used to run a lot. I'd do the same thing. Because quite often, people's minds are focused on the negative. And, and there's a lot of... of um, and the music, a lot of it is kind of a push down for people, I think. And what you want to do is you want to make the music. You want to write the stories. You want to sing and dance and to put it out there. Uh, be the creator. And, and, you know, part of it is we learn by watching. We learn by listening. But then you must become the teacher as you, as you grow in, in, in your life. And so I think Oracle, you know, is, 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 is critical which were missing, just like myself. My bet is, had I been been allowed to run around, be more free rather than in a classroom and sit like this, you know, you're trying to conform all of all humans to one way of doing it. This is the problem with education and the school system. So here I am, a 67 year young physician, entrepreneur, a pilot, poet, you know, all sorts of things. You can write them all down, whatever it is. But I'm simply another human being that wanted, that's so inspired by other people, inspired by what life gives us. And however long it is, do something you're afraid to do is the thing that I'm learning to share with myself and others. And every time you say you can't, you make it true. And every time you say you can, wow. And, and you think about it, the movies, uh, radio, the places where people can can listen and learn seems to attract more people than the library. And I can tell you, without this invention, reading books, for whatever reason, you know, it gets harder and harder. Would you say that that is the, the most important lesson that you've learned uh, within maybe the past decade or so? to do something of which you're fearful or to do many things of which you are um, immediately fearful? I'm afraid every day. I have fear. Even, oh, this guy, Daniel Finneran, this guy wants to talk to me. What does he want to talk to me about? Or like, maybe I'm not going to say the right thing. Again, th these aren't the foremost, but there's always a moment for, again, there are some people that never have that. But I think normal human beings are afraid of something at some time in their life. And if not every day, you know, I'd be surprised. Uh, so I feel it, but I'm, I take a breath and, and, and I say like, okay, like I wipe those thoughts away quite, 
quickly. I'm, I'm, and I then listen to Daniel, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. He's an interesting guy. He's got some great, great thoughts. And, and uh, boy, I'm excited to, to talk with him today. And the same thing with hard, difficult people. So if you have someone that's hard and difficult, they must have something more interesting and amazing to share with you if you can just step back and loosen up a little bit. And the same thing that comes with standing on stage or, or uh, you know, whatever you have to do that you're like, whoa, I don't know if I can do this or I'll make a fool of myself. As you did at your TED Talk. <laughs> I did fool myself. Oh, so my God. No, I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. But let me ask you, the the animal, I believe, by which your website and your brand is emblazoned is a is a lion. And now, of course, there's a connection there between the carnivorous way of life, but perhaps there's the component of fearlessness and courage. Is that one of the main reasons that you selected the the lion as your maybe spirit animal to be? displayed on on your uh, on your website I, I think the symbolism of a lion is fearless is majestic um, it, it's powerful it it is its strength and so I was at uh, I was at um, uh, uh, what was the restaurant I gotta think of it in a second but I was a restaurant in in uh, Phoenix in, in Scottsdale and uh, Capitol Grill and there are picture, there are these great statues of these great lions in front of it. And if you look around the world, lions tend to be the protectors. And, and so the term, you are what you eat, you are what you think. So that's kind of what we are. And so would you rather be a sheep or a lion, right? Lion or lamb? Would you rather be a pig or cow? And, and so, again, these ideas, because we're metaphors, we're, we talk in metaphors. That's all this is. Mm -hmm. You know, we could grow, we could growl a little bit. But when you look <laughs> at the majestic nature and instinct of a lion and the lion's pack and the way they live in, in, a, in, a, in a pack is quite amazing. And, and I, I think, yeah, you know, one is their, their nutrition, I think, is what more of what we should be eating in order to feel better and reduce and or eliminate a significant number of diseases, including emotional and, 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 uh, um, um, and psychological issues that we all have, you can reduce them and or eliminate them. So yeah, the lion is like it. I love all animals. You know, there's nothing that I'm saying here to try to be disrespectful to a pig, cow, sheep or anything. Uh, but, but ultimately we, we are, we live in symbols. And what is the symbol that you want to lead in your life? And that's a lot of what I think my TED talk was, was about, about whether you're a lion or a pig. Yeah. And well, yeah. Pigs. Yeah. Well, thankfully there are no sheep in my audience. Pigs. I don't know though. There could be a few. I don't, hopefully we're not offending anyone, but no, I, I, the way I perceive it, especially coming out of a years-long global pandemic, right, through which we all lived, uh, it seems to me that the sheep, at least in America, far outnumber the lions, or at least those with the sort of the lion-hearted spirit. So how do you assess the situation as it exists today? Because, of course, you want to uh, 
sort of recruit and develop and create more lions. But it seems like at this point, there's a significant surplus of, of the sheep. Well, we've been led by the lions who want to keep us lamb. And it really is quite interesting. And I, you know, we, we likely became plant eaters because finding meat became scarce and killing animals is not easy. They killed equally as many as we were able to get to eat them. But we developed our pack hunting. Uh, but plants are live organisms and they do not want to die any more than a, a, a bull wants to die. And so they've all developed mechanisms to prevent other organisms from eating them. That's really it in, in, in life. And um, so, you know, how do we get here over the last however many millions of years or hundreds of thousand years that humans have existed? Uh, we're taught to eat plants because plants contain chemicals that control you. Heroin, cocaine, marijuana, nicotine, psilocybin, now microdosing mushrooms, um, alcohol are tremendous. And, and fruits and vegetables contain all those things. And sugar, by the way, is, is a highly addictive chemicals that make you want more. And so you will do anything to get more. You will do anything the master says, including not eat the red meat because it's going to get you cancer. Even though there's no evidence of that and you've never seen it in your toilet, but you see plants in your toilet all the time. So that means plants are not very well digested in the human body. So, and you'll never see meat and lions eat meat, pigs, cows, and sheep eat grass and grains. Again, it's, it's kind of a radical concept, you know, fake meat out of plants. Why would you want, why would anyone want to sell you fake meat? Well, because your brain wants meat <laughs> because meat is the master meal. It's like so simple and easy. Meat is the master meal. The masters don't want you eating it because if you do, you will become strong and mighty and you might lead other sheep to become lions and they don't want you doing that. Now who they are, that's a good story. I don't know, but you know, the world, the world is only what you believe it to be. God is within all of us. We are the creators of the universe. We create a good day, bad day, right day, wrong day, easy day, hard day. So this is a good story. I am not saying, Oh, this is true, but heroin, cocaine, marijuana, nicotine, caffeine, and alcohol are plant products. And meat is the master meal. And you will know no one. I've never seen anyone have an anaphylactic reaction to a ribeye fatty steak. I've never seen anyone drop dead suddenly from that anaphylactic, like suddenly I can't breathe. Now, they might get meat stuck in their throat because they didn't chew well enough. And the problem with that today is because people don't, they're losing their teeth because of a plant-based low animal fat diet and eating three to six meals a day. So how do we get here? Well, we were kind of led to slaughter. Hmm. The philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche about which I often speak is 
chirping in the in my ear right now. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. He talks in uh, one of his works about the the evolution, radical evolution of man, let's say. And he has certain stages of development. You begin as a camel, you then evolve into a lion, and finally the ultimate stage is to become a child. And I, I think that's often so uh, bewildering, but also um, unsettling to think that Nietzsche sort of arrives at the same point that Jesus does in some ways when he tells his followers to become like children. Uh, my point is that there's an, uh, a, sh a strange resonance between what Nietzsche was saying, of course he wasn't talking about diet, <laughs> but he was talking about the reclaiming sovereignty over oneself um, and becoming that which, well, by nature, he or she was supposed to become, living up and in, living into one's real potential. And it sounds as though, perhaps without the ethical implications <laughs> that Nietzsche expresses elsewhere, in some ways, you're talking about something similar, uh, you know, going through a stage of development, gaining some mental clarity and physical uh, potency and becoming that which you were uh, perhaps destined to be. Uh, you can comment on that, but I also just want to mention, as you were talking about the, the naturalness of this diet and the unnaturalness of the consumption of plant products, it really is difficult to extract oneself from that, that latter way of being, a way of eating. Because yes, I agree with you entirely. It is much more natural, I think, to us as um, omnivorous, but maybe carnivorously leaning human beings to consume animal products, specifically meat. I know that I've adopted uh, liver into my diet, and I, I probably it's been a year. And People always cringe uh, whenever I say that I eat this daily. I eat it every single day, not in encapsulated form, but I consume it and I quite enjoy it. In fact, I savor it. I look forward to it. It's to me the most nutritionally dense food item I think that perhaps exists anywhere um, outside of a laboratory. <laughs> and, and I so enjoy that and I, my body craves it. But like you said, it almost takes a re-education of the body to understand that natural yearning, right? Does that make sense? Because we're so deconditioned to want those things that it seems unnatural to want ribeye steak and fatty meats and liver and, and eggs and things like that. So maybe if you want to, you can certainly comment on the obscure Nietzsche <laughs> remark. <laughs> and certainly you could comment on that second point that I made. Well, I always say we're born lions and then we were taken out of the lion's den and put in the pig's pen. And then we're raised by pigs. So we think we're pigs. That's the real challenge. And any of us at any age could make the shift and change from one thing to another. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what age you are and what state you're in. But ultimately... You know, we're, we're always evolving and evolving and childlike is the best. Like, again, 
I mean, obviously there's certain things you have to be responsible for as an adult, but kids can be responsible also. I was a kid working as a kid and I felt responsible. I think that philosophy and, 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 and all these writings, you know, I love them, love them. They're so important, I think, for everyone to read or listen to, get involved with. But, but ultimately, we're the propaganda. And, and again, we're taught in medical school and that this is the diet and diet doesn't matter. And so there's so many experts telling us one thing. And I've been reported to the medical board. I was told the hospital, I couldn't, they told me I couldn't talk about this stuff. And so, you know, do I want to be meek or do I want to be the master? And ultimately you got to be the master. It's a mindset. So, so, so ultimately that's why we read these books and these ideas, this philosophy did recognize we all are on the transition of where you want to go. Don't be, be afraid and do it anyway, or don't be afraid and go do it anyway. Um, so, so ultimately it, it, it has so much to do with the fact that we believe one thing and yet the opposite is true. And if we can, if we can open our minds to, well, I've never heard that before, or that's not what everyone else says. And you're right. And plenty of people live a long, healthy life and won't eat meat. But meat is still the master's meal and mush is for the prisoners, the slaves, the soldiers, and the peasants. No disrespect to any of those people. <laughs> but, but philosophy, you know, for me, reading philosophy and, and, and ancient history and people's stories and that is really so amazingly helpful in our lives. And then you want to read stories of the fall of, of uh, Campbell, Joseph Campbell, and all his books are like rock and amazing. And and I love uh, Paulo Paulo Coelho's book, The Alchemist. That's like one of my favorite books. And 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 so you know, tell you me, read, let me, let me insert myself and ask you: From which philosopher would you say you've derived the most wisdom? Jesus Christ. I think that was the answer given by George uh, Bush, <laughs> which well, is well, a totally reasonable one. <laughs> well, 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 the reason is because of all the philosophy of the world, his is so succinct and simple. Mm. Love and forgiveness. Give me your fears and worries and have faith. Stand still and know that I am God. And he was the only, the, the, well, he was the one we know the most who gave God to everyone because he said, God is within you and you are God. And that took the power away from the temples for an individual. Now, again, the temples are part of our life, our, our humanity, our culture. But I think that that that's the one that I read the most because no matter all so many of the readings, it goes back to Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and faith is something about which you talk very passionately and uh, persuasively, in, in my opinion. Tell me, during your younger years of deviance, let's, let's say, <laughs> did you feel yourself falling away from faith? And was that restored later in life? Or did you always, from you know, your earliest memories, have this strong belief in the divine, in Jesus, 
uh, or did that come later? Did you sort of rediscover it? What was your journey to faith? So, in, yeah, so raised Catholic, I went to catechism. I didn't understand a word they were saying. I couldn't read the book. And it all was, I was like an antsy kid that did not want to be there anyway. So I never really understood it very well. And God is out there. And and then, and then um, when I became a, so, but I would consider myself Catholic. And then I became an atheist through medicine and science. And like science has all the answers. And then through an evolution, I, I, I was like, I got to figure out this God thing. I just like, I got to go out there. And like, I read everything on God. I read every religious text and I, I read it all. And then I read a book called The Three Magic Words. And the three magic words are, I am God. And then the biology belief by Bruce Lipton is another good one. The brain, there's so many books on basically your brain is the creator of all reality. And so when, when you come to that and, and recognize that words, and the beginning was the word, okay? Every word I speak, every word you hear, hear every word you speak and every word I hear has an energetic power, right? The pen is more powerful, more mighty than the sword. Ultimately, our words are what has taken us apart from all other organisms in the universe, I believe. Not to say we're the smartest organism in the universe, but just changed us tremendously. We're able to communicate, but a word will cause hell havoc or hope and 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 love and and so if we realize that the almighty word is it and the more we can seek in the power and understanding of god and again i don't understand god because i don't understand myself all the time but i work on guiding my mind i want to i want to i want to choose my words carefully and i want to think them. that's why i do my 5 a.m uh, meetup so 20 years ago, I started blogging, but it was, it was like, I'd start doing a little video like this. I'd do it, write a poem. And then I put it out to my website and I put it out as an email. And, um, you know, I probably had two people reading it. I don't know. I wrote a couple of books on daily intentions, daily inspirations, which have really sort of still helped me in my day. Cause I love reading other people's daily, uh, Sarah Young's Jesus calling, um, uh, uh, Don Curtis uh, wrote a number of books on on Christianity, spirituality, and poetry. Um, and so I think that the more we put our minds into the master work, so the philosophy and understanding of God, and I pray to God every day, but I recognize that my thoughts spread out to the universe, just like yours, right? We're just a, we're a beacon and we're a, we're a transmitter and receiver. That's what this thing is all about. And the more we connect and transmit and receive, wow, the more amazing life is. And the more positivity we, we, we uh, enable in our lives, the better. You're going to have hard days, sad days, depressed days. But use that as the as the as the building, uh, uh, the the building, the uh, the studio, the 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 workout studio, uh, or the work in studio to take the time to begin to listen. See, that's why I love to listen to books because Jesus Christ had problems, and 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 you know, Moses and Abraham and David, and you know, 
All of these people have had problems, but do they just kind of wallow in their problems and, and give up? No. I'm going to be nettlesome and I'm going to point out one word in that beautiful response <laughs> on which I want to focus. You said the brain is the creator of all reality. I would alter that slightly in a more theistic view to say that the mind is the perceiver of reality, of a given reality by, by the divine, let's say. Um, and you can take that from a Greek philosophical perspective, from a platonic form, right? There's a certain ideal. There's a certain ideal of, of man, of human being. And perhaps that's the man who is consuming his, he's fasting 20 hours a day and consuming his one ribeye steak. And he looks a certain way and he acts a certain way and he carries himself with a certain comportment. Um, uh, and of course, the same is applicable to women as well. And I think one of the big problems with modern society, not a topic that we need to delve into right now, but one of the big problems is that we've lost sight of these ideals. And I need not give many examples. I mean, you see it on the, the news all the time, uh, whether it be in transgenderism or other certain you know uh, issues of the moment, let's call them, where there seems to be a confusion of ideals and of forms as Plato, as Plato might have uh, described them. Then also taking it from the Judeo-Christian perspective, and, and these are forms sort of are interchangeable with the, with the, well, the reality that God has created that is perceptible by us. So that's why I would say we might not be the creators of reality, but maybe the perceivers, the very astute perceivers, or sometimes obtuse perceivers of, of a reality. Would you... Plants have muddled the minds of so many. We have been, we've been intoxicated. And, and maybe I didn't let you finish your question, and I'd be glad to, to apologize on that. Quite all right. No, continue. So, so here's the challenge that I have and have had. The discussion has always been by humans that God is out there and you're the receiver of his knowledge. Okay. And so be careful of what he or she or it says. So the thing that finally tipped this for me is to recognize that I am the creator of the story that you tell now again when i say you i mean you right there's me and there is the world right i create the world in the magic of my mind which ultimately anatomically we call the brain so ultimately is the mind just in the brain or is it beyond that i don't know that answer but i can tell you <clears throat> now again there may be some masterful magic that's that manipulating everything that we perceive but what if you individually control all of the story that's 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 the part that i've learned in my journey 
that there are times when I have reactive nature to what I think I'm seeing. But then if you wait long enough and or you're fast enough to change the story right away, you can change the outcome. And that's the power of the human mind. You see, there's only one entity that has ever created the story of God. That's who? A human being. He said, how do some human beings know about God, but somehow I didn't? That was my challenge. I'm like, wait a minute. Of course, you have equally as capable of creativity of creating everything that any other God can create. So the magic of the story, once again, and we, we you know, we love because without a little bit of a, a, a um, argument, it's a little too great in this, but that's, we honor everyone's belief system. But I'm just sharing my thoughts that God is in you and God is in me. You tell your story, I tell my story. Ultimately, the story I tell you is only the story you think you hear based on what your mind thinks. That is why someone who has any, any drugs in their brain, plants contain drugs that control you, heroin, cocaine, marijuana, nicotine, caffeine, and in your bowels, as a plant-based eater, you are making alcohol every day. That alcohol is affecting your brain potentially in ways that may make you less capable of the things you might want to do. Now, people are now using psilocybin, ayahuasca, and saying, wow, I had a, like a really radical, amazing experience. Well, people on heroin have that before they die. I mean, you wouldn't give that to a kid. That doesn't mean it might not be entertaining. But the question is, is it really good for you? But, but back to the God thing, I, you know, I, I agree with you. And yet the story is created in the brain. That's why Alzheimer's and dementia and all these people with brain disorders or psychosis and schizophrenia, they don't see the same thing you see because the thing they see is created in your brain, in your mind, based on however that however far that that the electromolecular energy goes i don't know yeah yeah to bring back another uh, philosopher it reminds me of the the famous phrase uttered many millennia ago by uh, protagoras or protagoras who said that man is the measure of all things uh, and he means essentially what you're saying is that uh, we in our subjective capability have um the mind to be able to determine reality as at least as we perceive it. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you uh, is that it seems as though ultimately what we want to do is achieve enlightenment. Uh, we may be detached of its spiritual connotations. We want to achieve a certain clarity of mind. And I think that's basically what you described, a clarity of mind that unclouds us, that <laughs> takes away our intoxication, it sobers us and allows us to really fulfill our, our purpose, whatever that may be in the arts and the sciences and government in your work. But that also reminds me of Buddhism, which is famously 
averse to meat, <laughs> I think, to put it mildly. How do you reconcile that religio-philosophy and its pursuit of enlightenment? If I understand it correctly, let's say its adherents are strict vegetarians, is there ever the possibility of achieving that unclouded, sober, totally enlightened mind on that sort of a diet? Or is the adoption of a radically different diet, in fact, the antithetical diet, requisite before enlightenment can be achieved? When we were ancient, ancient indigenous people, savages, <laughs> we were not led by leaders that wanted to make us lamb. The philosophy is good. Anyone can achieve it. You don't need to be a vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, or a carnivorian. That has nothing to do with it. You can choose not to eat a plant, I mean, eat plant or choose not to eat meat. But you must eat something to be alive. And ultimately, you killed something to be alive. And so all religions, including Buddhism, are controlling to the masses. And the more I tell you not to eat meat and to eat mush, I can keep you controlled. So if you look at the, at the, at the, the global um, population in the places where they control more people, it's religion. Now, I'm not taking away. I'm, I consider myself Christian. I, but I also read the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita. I read them all because I believe in the ideas because there are other human beings that have these belief systems with kindness, I think, and, and generosity. But ultimately, um, if you, whatever you choose to be, be it. And I'm not here. I'm not here telling you, you better not eat plants. I eat plants sometimes. Um you know, again, I I believe you got to be and do what you want to do and be. But if you came to me and said, well, I'm sick, I can't have a baby, and I'm a vegan, I say, okay, how many meals a day do you have and how much fat do you eat? Well, most people eat no fat. Do you know that the, the global diet for humanity is plant-based and lean meat? There's almost no fat in it. Do you know that? I, okay, no. so there are only two essential nutrients to the human body. And one is protein, amino acids, and the other is fat. Plants and sugars have no essential need in our human diet. When I learned that from, from Richard uh, uh, David Feynman in The World Turns Upside Down, I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what I was taught in medical school and residency. I'm feeding my patients plants, and then I'm giving them drugs to counteract the plants. It's like giving someone who's allergic to... Um, to, to a banana like my daughter or peanuts, an EpiPen and say, here, enjoy this and then use the EpiPen. Hopefully it's going to work. So, so ultimately I honor everyone. Wim Hof, a great, amazing guy on who's cold water therapy and breath work. And he's a vegan or a vegetarian, but, and, and you know, he's doing great. But then when you're not doing great, the question is, well, why not? And again, I think you can overcome so many things with the word. That's what Neville Goddard teaches. Anything you want to overcome, you can overcome with this guy right here. But most people are thinking mostly negative, and then they eat all the shit. Excuse my language. Um, they, you know, the 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 processed food. And when you talk about processed food, the majority of processed food is made from plants, not from animals. 
if you're eating an animal product, it usually has lots of spices and sugars, and there's almost no fat in it. And so the real story, um, you know, there are plenty of, if you look at India, the largest number of cancer and diabetic patients in the world, hmm. and the largest number of vegans, vegetarians. And again, be whatever you want to be. Honor your religion, your culture. I'm not trying to take you away from that. Italian. But like, what was your culture 500,000 years ago? It wasn't Hindu. It wasn't Christian. It wasn't Muslim. You probably were hunting on the on the wild lands maybe 100,000 years ago or 50,000 years ago. But we ate the brain, the organ meats. And you said liver. You, you, the lions go right to the core. That's critical, the core and and hunting. We hunted in packs. I, I was in a gang. Well, I was in a gang as, as a young teenager because instinctually we're drawn to that. I was a street kid. You know, what am I going to do? Hang out the street. We hung out in packs. We're lions. No doubt about it. And when you 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 eat like a lamb, you become you, you know, you bow to the leaders of the world. And even maybe in healthcare and you know we we do what they say okay i'll line up for whatever that jab is or whatever you talk about <laughs> i have to ask just as a more on a whimsical point uh did you have a nickname in your gang what was what did you go by <laughs> that was inano inano little man 18th street and um what am i hey, what, what, was, what was it again i'm sorry inano Inan, okay, yeah, that's a span, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. And and my and 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 you know, it was maybe for a year of of of, of craziness, and but you know, you grow you grow out of those things hopefully, and you mm -hmm. don't end up in jail like or dead. You know, this is and one more. And, and while while we're on the point, the more whimsical point, what do you remember? What exactly you drew on the side of that building? That uh, yeah, we wrote our names in 18th oh, Street. Okay, I mean, you know, look at I, I don't look back at it. As like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. But it was part of me to get me to where I am. When my I wasn't very good in school. Um, you know, I, I didn't play sports. My parents had their own problems. And and I just hung out with who I hung out with. And thankfully, I turned down enough bad things. And I went to the right side soon enough. And I, I had to get beat up to get in and beat up to get out. And my brother did the same thing. And, um, and again, it, it, it's, we all have our things in our past that we might change, but I actually don't look back at it and say, boy, I wish it was different. I'm who I am because of those things. Yeah. If yeah I and, I, and, and I don't mean to make light of, of the hardship or the, or the, the, oh, yeah, the, I didn't, the I difficulty. Didn't, no, no, no. I, the, yeah. I'm just, <laughs> look at, I'm just curious. Um, it, 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 and in some ways, I mean, there are too many people, too many young people getting caught up in gangs. The reason is because they don't have the outlets. Now, maybe we had them before. I mean, luckily, I was in, I was in, uh, I was in auto mechanic shop. I was in print shop. Uh, I, what was the else? I was in um, uh, electric shop, wood shop. I mean, I was, I was not the smart kid. I was in the. What am I going to do? Go into some a trade one day, maybe. And and again, that, that anyone in a trade, like we don't have them, we're in trouble. And 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 
everyone is extremely intelligent, by the way. All humans are very intelligent. We just don't give them the experience to gain that, that, that outward expression of it. We don't make it easily accessible. That's our biggest problem in the world. And then we tell people they can't. Yeah, yeah, which is totally dispiriting. And, and I think I maybe part of my you can't read. You'll go in this class. Well, they, but again, I don't think I grew up in a very loving, kind, amazing family. My parents were amazing. They both died almost ninety-four, about uh, six or eight years ago, and they went through their troubles of life. But through troubles, it's the training ground to build our lives better. And that's why I think religion and 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 uh, uh, spirituality. And even the groups like Buddhism and, and, and Islam and Judaism, Christianity, or whatever it is, they bring a connection of people together in more positive ways. Humans, we're kind of crazy. We get into gangs sometimes and we do some things that we don't honor ourselves and our, and our humanity as well at. But, you know, this is just part of like tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. See, I believe everything we are is just based on the energy of the universe that affects every bit of us. And then you throw in the food that has an adverse effect on us. That's another a problem that, again, most of us, we, we, don't, we don't give enough energy to. That could it be your healthy diet and your healthy intake of ideas, you know, we're watching or listening to things that aren't going to give us and strengthen us. We're listening to the problems of the world in a negative way. Rather than looking at the problems of the world and thinking, wow, I wonder how I can help solve that. How can we make it better? Oh, I'm sorry they're going through that. But you know what? Let's all get together and build a better world, not blame others for the bad of the world. I have a set question. Uh, I, I want to be a little disciplined in this conversation. <laughs> so far, we've, we've only addressed one of my set questions, and it's been so fascinating to take all these digressions with you but I, I do want to pose this one because i think it's relevant and it connects the religious uh and the well or the spiritual and the nutritional let's say yeah so it's said that the heresy of one age is the orthodoxy of the next now no truer is this in religion than it is in nutrition as we have i think proven at this point now as it happens the reverse also seems to be the case. That which was deemed orthodox yesterday is declared heretical tomorrow. So an example upon which we touched was animal fats. Now, in which in a, in a saner, simpler time, you know, all household meals were cooked, you know, before the advent of the, the hated seed oils in which they're all now currently cooked, providing that fat source. So, the question is, if the carnivore diet is, by and large, heretical, at least in the eyes of our uh, elites at present, do you think it's moving toward wider acceptance? Do you think that it will ever become orthodox uh, as far as the American diet is concerned? Do you think that it will become the new standard American diet? Look at Jesus now. So if you think about when Jesus, as a rabbi, spoke about the heresy of, of the church uh, that was, 
and he went out to create and share some different ideas, not to create his own outside church, but share some uh, um, heresy, which became an orthodox way thousands of years later, as we see it today. So uh, it may be carnivore has been around forever. It's not a new nutritional idea. And there are people that likely have been strictly carnivore for their entire lives, but probably not many. Um, I think it's going to grow. I think that the modal the, this modality of, of uh, blogging and podcasting is critical for healing because it gives people the chance to listen to ideas that you had to go to the Mayo Clinic or Harvard and you know their ideas are going to be one way, but it, we're all suffering. With so many people died over COVID, maybe so many people also died over the vaccine. Uh, and and I think we're mostly dying over a plant-based low animal fat diet because we're we're highly inflamed by the sugars. And so yeah, I think ultimately it's going to grow because social media is the new social medicine, and sharing this is very critical. Hmm. That's an interesting spin on it. And I, I, I like that. Social media, if used properly, just as you would use a medication properly, is the new social medicine. Because in so many ways, you know, I, we look at it and think that it's the great affliction by which the you know, vast number of um, adolescents, especially in America, are suffering. But you see it a little bit differently. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Well... Every new modality, the, the, the book, the written word, the printed word, that was good and was bad. And it's just like a, a, a bow and arrow, a rifle, or any, any um, device that can hurt and help. And so I think that um, we, uh, let's see, where, where can we go with all of these ideas? We have to be open to the the story and the more we tell the story and so it's like what, what anything, what you listen to and watch is really going to be a determinative factor. But yeah, uh, people say, well, well, um, uh, video games are bad. Well, it depends what you use it for in the future. Let me tell you, flying my airplane, if I had played video games, I probably would have been faster at it, uh, than, than it, than it was. But I think, the possibilities of sharing a story to everyone that maybe isn't controlled by anyone is really the important part to this. And I learned so much on social media, but social socialized medicine is a negative, isn't it? But social medicine, because there's only one human being that can help you for your health and wellness, both mind and body. And that's you. You have you can do it. And so I may be sharing ideas, but I can't force you to do anything. I can't give you a shot or a pill. You're the one that's got to do the work to choose the way. And there's so many different ideas out there, but you know, I see I saw a vegan today that looked ripped and they're all eating watermelons and seeds and don't eat meat. I, okay. You can be, you can look like that. That's what you want to look like at anything. But yeah, I, I think that I personally think social media is masterfully amazing. Yeah. And I yeah. look, at, try to be discerning, but sometimes I'll look at something like this is bad or dumb, trying to get the sort of the take on it. Sometimes it's 
offensive. And I'm like, okay, thank you very much. I'll move on. So we can't mention podcasting without bringing up the name Joe Rogan. Of course, uh, so many trends of modernity uh, of which young men are especially keen to partake, I think are attributable to, to his influence, be it uh, jujitsu or, or uh, bow hunting or the carnivore diet. Now, he was famously an acolyte of the carnivore diet for a while, and I think he's now an apostate. He's, he's <laughs> renounced his carnivorous ways, and I think he's adopted a new diet. Are you concerned that maybe a figure like him has undue influence over so many people and sort of a new sheep herd-like mentality takes over in that way, where people are just following him um, kind of undiscerningly and unthinkingly um, and not really following their own way? Well, that's the beauty of life. There are infinite people that you can learn from. And I, I've done some things. I'm like, well, why did I do that? That was crazy. And so I'd say we're experimenting. This is all an experiment. Your life is an experiment. It's your experiment. No one else's, right? Go and make some mistakes and some of them work and some don't. The same thing goes with nutrition. Um, it, 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 do I eat only meat? I do not eat only meat. Once in a while, I eat a French fry and my ice cream with, I put a little bit of white cane sugar in because Wait, do you com do you combine them? Do you dip the French fry in the ice cream? Oh, that's a good one. No, I don't. I put, <laughs> put it in sour cream with salt or, and I pour the grease, the grease from the steak all over the fries. Like so I am sure all of our listeners or a great majority of them have gone to Wendy's, got themselves a frosty and dipped those salty, delicious, crispy French fries in that frosty and just had a blissful gustatory experience. <laughs> I haven't tried that, but it sounds good. It sounds good. But look at, you see, a little bit of heroin could kill you like right then and there. Okay. Or a snort of cocaine or, or you have that bottle of wine that one night and you don't know what's going to happen. Okay. But the odds that a, 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 a potato is going to kill you is extremely rare and unlikely at one time. Now, salad might, because vegetables, green vegetables especially, contain a lot of bacteria, yeast, and viruses. Mm. A potato inside of it, unless you were back in the, 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 the Irish famine with the potatoes that were infected by a mold, okay? And there, there, are, there are a tremendous number of, of, of plant molds, viruses, and bacteria. That's where they live more than anything. And then they manage to get into us. They get into our gut, right? They're bad for our gut, by the way. Probiotics are deadly, in my opinion. But um, so where was I going with that that, that crazy story? I, I, I kind of walked. Well, I went too far on that one. <laughs> you can never go too far. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I, I get it. We'll just leave it with occasionally you can dip your French fry in, in your Frosty. <laughs> I mean, we're probably more like bears. And, you know, again occasionally again you occasionally have a caesar salad or something i mean but 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 again it's the plants that are the killers and the predators and we are the prey it's hard for most of us to believe that but just give up your 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 salad or your fries for a week see how easy it is yeah yeah and it, the you know the risk to you is not that great <laughs> simply omit a certain food item if you're struggling especially for a short period of time adopt a new habit, a new lifestyle, just temporarily, and see if it doesn't really drastically affect your well-being. And in most cases, it will. I, I want to ask you, 
because now I'm fascinated by the fact that you had some difficulties with language as a young man. The, the way in which you use language is so idiosyncratic and it's very compelling. For instance, when you speak of intermittent fasting, you don't say fasting, you say feasting. Or even when you talked about in one of your videos, your, your, uh, your, your gym, you don't call it a gym, but you call it a, like a movement studio or a movement room. Are these conscious um, alterations to normal verbiage that you're employing? Um, or is it just your poetic mind at work looking for uh, unique and peculiar ways of framing your ideas? Words are critical and I can be more practiced at it, probably be better at it, but this is my language and my way that I've learned over my years. And uh, in, in the beginning was the word. The words are it. Meme, the meme machine. Great book. I can't remember who wrote that one, the meme machine. But, but words are critical. So intermittently fasting to me, even though we know what we mean, but it means I intermittently fast. So I intermittently don't eat. Well, that means you're always eating. And so we know that's not what we mean. But ultimately, if someone says, well, I, I don't eat for eight hours or I don't eat for 12 hours. But then you eat the other 12 hours. Well, that's a lot of food to put in your body. And, and so the, the way we speak about things, I, to me, that's why I use intermittently feasting. Eat one meal a day is, is probably the best thing we can do that's easy on a, on a routine basis. See, we're cyclical. We're, we're, we're um, di daily, right? The day, every day. What's your Diur habit? Diurnal, yeah, diurnal. Mm -hmm. like, like, di what's, your, what's your daily habit? For me, I get up. I do a little bit of meditation. I get on my bike. I do a little bit of lifting. Uh, I, I'm listening to a book or I'm watching a podcast like, like Daniel Finneran's um, uh, and, and uh, Finneran's Wake. Uh, and, and sharing these ideas because I want to learn while I'm, well, if I'm, if I'm just going like this, looking around and just running around and not, I want to get to words that I'm going to, I'm going to learn something that, that, wow, I haven't heard that. I haven't thought about that. So that's, that's what I learn. I practice as much as I can. And reading is really, really good for that. And I, I think yeah, very briefly, can you tell me a little bit about your meditative practice? It's different for everybody, uh, but you seem to have an especially active and fruitful mind. And I would think that it would be difficult for someone of your capacious intellect, as I said in my introduction, to be able to settle that mind and, and really slowly and um, calmly meditate. Is that difficult for you at this point in your meditative practice or do you feel like you pretty much have a good routine down meditation is a focused mind not an empty mind you cannot empty the mind the mind is never empty this because everyone says well i'm gonna think about a word like a, a, a leaf and i or or water or my breath and i'm always I'm, you know you're gonna go over here and then you want to come back to it yeah but if you focus on a thought then you can really get to the next level, I think. And is there one especially potent thought to which you find yourself returning again and again? And if so, would you feel comfortable sharing it with us? Thank you, God, Lord, creator, for this day. 
I go through my gratitude list. That's my meditation. Thank you, God, for this and this and this and this and this. And it may just be repetitive. Thank you, God, Lord. I, I speak to my parents during this meditation, my, 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 my sister, my best friend. I talk to the universe, but I mostly just simply say, thank you, God, Lord, creator for the day. Thank you for everything and everyone in my life. That's my repetitive thing, because the more I say just, oh, thank you, oh, thank you, oh, thank you. So so now I'm focused on something that really the brain sends energy to everywhere, because, to, again, I'm, I'm, all meditations have value, but the one thing we're really good at is focused mental strength. It is impossible to clear the mind of thought because your subconscious mind is always thinking. So what you're really working to do is imprint something on the subconscious mind through your conscious thinking. And that's where I think meditation has its, its, its best strength. Yeah, And that by which your subconscious is imprinted seems to be gratitude beneath all else. I mean, and, and I think that's absolutely essential. And uh, it's something that I've had to learn through the years <laughs> to, uh, through all, uh, you know, I haven't faced hardships quite the way you have. Um, but instilling gratitude in my life has had profound effects, even if it's just touching the, the old worn threadbare uh, steering wheel in my Honda Civic. <laughs> whose front headlight is in desperate need of uh, <laughs> changing. It, okay. I, say, I say to myself, okay, I have the, the shabbiest car probably in this city. <laughs> um, thank you, though, nonetheless, for allowing me as this machine that has lasted for some two decades, thank you for enabling me to, well, first of all, to start when I put the key in the ignition, to brake reliably, to accelerate as needed, perhaps not very quickly, but to accelerate nonetheless, and to get me to these places I need to go. That's, that's it. Now, I started doing that, and I have to tell you, I mean, there's, I think, no more radical an adjustment that can happen in one's brain than cultivating a habit of gratitude. And now, sometimes I lapse on that. Sometimes I'm dismissive or I'm in a rush, and I, and I don't feel as grateful toward a, a, a very simple thing. But I always try, even in the, on those days or on those occasions, I try to look up at the sky and this seems a bit like um, maybe too romantic, but I'll, I'll simply just gaze at the clouds and be in the sun, uh, especially in, the, in the, the more equable days of summer and have my bare feet on the ground and simply appreciate all that surrounds me, the nature you know, of which I'm a part. So I, I resonate completely with what you say about gratitude. Uh, mine's probably a little less um, directed toward the deity, although I'm starting more and more to incorporate that as well. Um, but simply being grateful for little tiny things. I mean, this, the ability even to sit down and talk with you. I, I'm having the time of my life, and I'm so grateful that we are able to connect in this strange way through a camera and a little microphone next to me, separated by thousands of miles. And you, with your jam-packed schedule and all your passions, are uh, willing to condescend to me and, and, and spend some of this precious time with me. So well, I'm learning. I'm, learning. I'm, I'm grateful. And, you know, look, at, if we don't have these conversations, look, at, 
no one is any smarter than anyone in just the general sense, I think. We might have more experience in one thing over another. But I should let you finish. But I do want to say a couple more things, if I may. Short, though. Of course, of course. I've never had any hardship or suffering in the in the sense that I'm like, woe is me ever, by the way. I've all I've I've always been like a easy going to whatever happens is just part of the universe, and I go with the flow. My favorite car in the universe was my 66 bug that I can rebuild the engine in a day, and I did it many a times in my life back when. And uh, it was it had it had Bondo on it. Uh, and it was, it was the best car in the universe. I love that car. And, and the deity, by the way, is us, is us. That, that's the part that, that there, there's nothing out there except the projection of what you create in the mind. If you think about that, because light, color, sound, shape, uh, temperature, it's, it's, a, it's sensed in the brain. It tells us if it's hot or cold. Uh, if it's if it's uh, bright or dark, if it's good or bad, right? Or it, so that's the magic of the human mind, and the deity is us. I must say uh, this conversation is especially fascinating to me because just two days ago I had a, a lovely conversation with the author Dan Levitt, who wrote a book, um, um, what we're what we're made of, uh, talking about all basically um, from the materialist perspective exactly each and every atom of which we're composed and fascinating read describing from the big bang to now exactly how are we uh, constituted with the hydrogen and the carbon and the nitrogen and the oxygen all these things and the plants as well and it, again it, i just have to remark and reflect on that Tuesday, I'm talking to a you know a, a dev devout materialist, lovely gentleman, a, a perfect gentleman, a and two days later, I'm I'm talking with you, also a man of science, but but a, a deeply faithful and spiritual person, and I just wanted to mention that that within the span of you know, 72 hours, I've had these radically different perspectives to engage with. And it's been so stimulating for me to have both of these conversations. Uh, not I've enjoyed far. this tremendously. But but here's the magic of science. If you think about artificial uh, intelligence or you think about a radio or television or the, the device here, like we're not in the same room. There's no cords connected to my device here. So how is it we're even communicating? Because because nature created all this. In essence, these are just atomic particles and light particles vibrating. And, and that's the magic of it all. And, and so uh, 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 what we're made of by, what's his name? Dan Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T. -T. I think I've listened to it and I'll, maybe I'll have to look at it again, but ultimately you can break it all down. You got to put the book there to show me the picture. I'm sorry. It's it's what's gotten into you. What's gotten into you? If you can all right, read. That. All right, all right. I'm gonna have to. I I don't know if I have, but but that's look at. We are, we are a vibration of molecules of of atoms. That's it. But that enables us to be us to share this story. It's it's magical and a miracle. But that's because that we think it is. The universe has been doing this stuff like it's just like, OK, another one of that, another one of this. You know, that's what the universe does. But that's our story of the universe. 
And that's the magic of it because science is no different than spirituality. It's a story. It's not true, except we believe it to be true, if that makes any sense. Science, like you said, it, it's, it's true one minute and it's false the next, right? It's accepted or rejected. It's always moving, right? Well, spirituality is actually more solid than science. Yeah, and that's something to ponder for a little while. Spirituality is more solid than science. And again, it's your poetic turn of phrase that I think is so alluring to so many people. That's such an... Uh, such a deft way of framing that concept, which is a very difficult concept uh, to wrap one's head around. So Dr. Kiltz, you've been unnecessarily generous <laughs> with the bestowal of your precious time. <laughs> I want to conclude with the question with which I conclude almost every episode. And that is, upon which of the three transcendentals do you place the greatest importance, beauty, truth, or goodness? Do you know my answer? I think I can guess it, but I'd like to hear it from you. Goodness. Goodness. Because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And truth is also just what you believe. But goodness is what God brings to the universe. And we are the gods to bring goodness. A response on which I cannot improve. And that is precisely the response that I expected from you. Dr. Kiltz, it's been an absolute, and I do mean absolute honor and privilege to have this time with you, for which I am, as you know, um, endlessly grateful. So I want to give you the opportunity to lay out the... <laughs> multitudinous social media platforms on which people can reach you. Um, what is the sort of your central hub? Should they go to YouTube, TikTok, Instagram? What's the best place to find you? DrKiltz.com is my website. And Dr. Kiltz is pretty much the handle on all those other devices, uh, those spaces. And enjoy them all and share your comments. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to Daniel Finneran's uh, uh, podcasts and YouTube channel and website and everything because that's really important to share the words that you're sharing today, Daniel. I feel so honored to, to be able to be with you today. God bless you. Uh, like I said, the honor is entirely mine. So to all my listeners and viewers, I hope that you really enjoyed this conversation as much as I have every single minute of it. Uh, if you want more of this content, simply subscribe, as I mentioned earlier. Um, there's nothing transactional, like I said. And I do urge you to visit Dr. Kiltz's website. Uh, put your email down in his uh, subscription service basis. You'll receive uh, at least, uh, I think at the end of each week, you give a longer email, a longer um, um, sort of like a blog posting that I think is invaluable. I know I read it every week and uh, have become all the wiser for it. So... Again, my gratitude to you, Dr. Kiltz. This has been a transformational conversation uh, that I'd like to have many more of in the future. Hopefully you'll return and uh, we can chat again. So to everyone listening and watching, thank you again and farewell from Finner Wake.